Peloton is gifting you their best offer of the season. Get up to $600 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that is right for you with accessories ranging from cycling shoes to non-slip grip dumbbells and more. Whether you have 10 minutes to spare for a strength class or 30 minutes for a running or cycling class, there's a workout that works for you with music that is truly iconic. So don't miss out on Peloton's best offer of the season. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 6, 2022. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. Nice to know. It's Friday, September 20th, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang. Here with me in our Orlando studios on the ones and twos, our illustrious brother, Chandler Strang. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. All the way from Paris, France, Tyler Huckabee. Taba, mon ami. I don't know. And joining us for the whole show today, one of our favorite friends, uh, the founder of... Uh, Seiko Designs and a new author, Liz Forkin Bohannon. Hey, everybody. Hey, so uh, before I get going, before we, t- I have something to ask you about, but before we get going, I want to tell everybody that today's show is brought to you by Mark Batterson's new book, Double Blessing. In a day when divine flourishing and godly stewardship have been reduced to a hashtag, hashtag blessed, New York Times bestselling author and pastor Mark Batterson challenges believers to pursue a greater calling. In his new book, Double Blessing, he shares how the key to radically increasing your faith, joy, and abundance can be found by simply flipping the blessing. In other words, we become a blessing to others when we recognize how God has blessed us. Pick up your copy of Double Blessing in bookstores everywhere now. Speaking of books, Liz, you have a new book. I do. I don't know at what point I get to say I have it because it isn't technically launched yet. Like Wait, what's I have the date? It. What's the date? Yeah. Uh, October 1st. October 1st. So it, it is available for pre-order right now. Ten and if you guys days. are, it, we get, just to jump right in with the plug, if Do you it. pre-order it, yeah. you get the audiobook, which I narrate, for free. And you get a Brave bracelet, which is a really beautiful handcrafted bracelet made in Uganda. You get all of that for free. So if you're interested, just in free stuff, you don't even have to be interested in what I have to say. You should pre-order it. So, okay, tell us about the book, though. I mean, go ahead and plug away. I want to know yeah. about it. Like, what, what, the heart behind it, the name, everything. What is and, it? Yep. And can I say one thing about the cover photo? It is Liz on a very cool Vespa. I, 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 I was looking at the Amazon information. I'm like, now that is a rad Vespa. It made me, it and gave I, me Parisian vibes, speaking of Tyler. Like, it was I, very cool. I, I thought the same thing. I, I thought, I was looking around. I was checking my six, thinking maybe you'd taken it here, right? Right by if you were inspired by my big move. I know I'm biased, but it's the best book cover I've seen in a long time. I'll send you guys some copies in person so you can see it. Not only does it have a very fun photo on the front, but it's got a vellum book jacket. So it's like kind of see-through and it's very, 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 very cool. But I'm not even as excited about the cover as I am about the message. It's called Beginner's Pluck. Build Your Life of Purpose and Impact Now. And someone recently described it. What did they say? They said it's like part memoir 
part marketing, like guru ish, part self help, uh, part comedy. And I felt pretty good about that description. It's the story of me starting and scaling my socially conscious fashion brand called Seiko Designs. Um, but in the process, I, I really just kind of use that as a tool to explore the 14 principles that I really believe when I look back on the last 10 years of building this company, of building the the life that that I've built, the 14 kind of mentalities and mindsets and principles that I feel like have have guided that. And it honestly came out of this inkling in me that over the last few years, I have gotten increasingly uncomfortable with the like popular narrative specifically surrounding how to make an impact in the world, how to quote unquote, find your passions, how to dream big, basically everything that all the like, (laughs) uh, passion gurus on Instagram are telling you to do in this book. I'm like, actually, no, it's opposite day. This has actually been really toxic and harmful, and it's probably creating a lot of fear and anxiety and analysis paralysis in here. But instead of just hating on the passion gurus, I offer what I think are really, really helpful ways to switch the ways that we're thinking about that, that I really deeply believe will unlock a lot of freedom and energy and inspiration for people to build really cool things in the world. Mm. That's awesome. I, I I am a little hung up on the phrase passion guru. I'm trying to imagine searching. You know, for that. like the people that Instagram from the beach and tell you how you need to go find your passion and follow your dreams and it'll and once you do that and once you find your dream job, you'll feel like you're never working another day in your life. Yeah. What wasn't Passion Guru a Mike Myers film? Yeah. After Austin Powers. <laughs> Wait, really? I, no. No, it is the Love Guru. guru. I think yeah. Passion I, Guru is what they call the worship leader of the Passion Conferences. You guys know it's been too long since I've been here with you guys. You guys know my pop culture references are so low that okay. I will believe anything. Wait, this, you say. He referenced a Mike Myers movie from like nineteen ninety nine. I mean it's like <laughs> that, we figured that, I'll be honest, Liz, <laughs> that one's on me. That one's that on me. It's actually in my sweet zone. So I should have I should have actually I'm disappointed. In myself, frankly, yeah, that, that one's on me. That one's. Liz, fair. I, I have a question about your book. Uh, yes. Is there going to be an audiobook version of this? There, yeah. there is, and you get it for there free. Is. Did you, you read? Did you the read the audiobook? I did. I'm actually oh, finishing how did it. Go? Tell me about the today. experience of reading I'm doing your own the, book. Um, I'm doing the, all the corrections today, so hopefully by the end of the day we'll have it wrapped up. It was so fun. Are you kidding me? I am like, I love. Like I, I read out loud to my kids. My husband and I actually read out loud to each other. It's like a part of our family culture. So it was also really fun because I haven't picked up the book since I like turned it in like nine months ago. Oh, so yeah, I have yeah. to admit that I'm like reading the audiobook. It was kind of a surreal experience because there was stuff that like I kind of remembered writing but things that I was like, oh, well, and like, as I was reading it, I was like kind of chuckling and yeah. I was like, oh, dang, that's a good, I, that's a good point. That's fire, girl. Are you sure? Are you sure the developmental editor just didn't get <laughs> a little carried away? Just to, really? I, Liz, I, I have a question uh, uh, about the, the Vespa I mentioned. I've always wondered what goes into choosing a book cover. And did you know from the outset, it's like, it's going to be me on a Vespa? Like, or was that something that the publisher wanted to do? No. So that's a fun question that I haven't actually gotten yet. So the original inspiration, when I was like probably eight months pregnant and uh, the book had already been turned in, and I, it was t- kind of time to start thinking about the cover. I went on a baby moon to uh, Santa Fe with my husband. 
And I went, I took an afternoon by myself and went to the Georgia O'Keeffe um, Museum in Santa Fe, which is incredible and fell in love with Georgia O'Keeffe. I liked her work before, but I was just like, oh my gosh, this woman, I like watched this documentary about her. And I was like, she is like the patron, the patron saint of pluck. So pluck, if you don't know, just to clarify things, yeah. the pluck verb, obviously we all know that, right? Like you pluck a chin hair when you think no one is watching. Pluck the noun <laughs> means spirited and determined courage. It was like very popular in the early 1900s. It's kind of fallen out of favor in English lexicon. And I'm on a secret mission to bring pluck the noun back because I think it's one of the best words in the English language. Now, now it can be used as an av- adjective too, like, oh, plucky. Right. right. Which is such a good word. Right. When you're like, oh, my gosh, she's plucky. It like feels like like what it means. So there was an there's incredible image of her, a black and white photo of her on the back of this like motorcycle driving into the desert that just really like uh, it. It super inspired me and it made me I put it on my desk and it just became kind of this like really inspiring image of going into the unknown with courage and pluck and also just like joy and excitement and curiosity. And then a big part of it is when I was in Uganda, I spent like months and months riding on the back of a little motorcycle all across the country looking for raw materials and sourcing and I, you know, going to all of my meetings. And so it just kind of like represents this season of life that was just like plucky. Like I didn't know what I was doing. It felt super scary, really adventurous, um, but also really fragile. Like everything could fall apart at any moment. And so I wanted to encapsulate that in the cover of this book, this sense of, of pluck. Do yeah. you own the Vespa? Is it your Vespa? I don't. I'm renting it next week. So we've got a big launch event in LA that's happening next week. And so I'm renting it back from the guy because we're letting everybody recreate the cover with them on it, which I'm really excited about. That's cool. Um, and, the, yeah. and the guy texted me back. I'm like, how much is it to rent for the night? He's like 150 bucks for the night, like 2,500 to buy it. And there was a, like a small part of me that was like, should we oh, own yeah. the Vespa? Should that just be a thing? Yeah, because because I feel like if if it were if it were me on the on on and I'm trying to I'm trying to capture pluck visually, I would tell the photographer, I'm like, okay, we'll do a couple your way. Now I'm going to do some wheelies. Okay, so stand back (laughs) and most in my cover options for me blasting through the studio trying to do a wheelie. I may get injured, but that's pluck. You know, I've never attempted a wheelie before as the owner of a Vespa. You can't do wheelies on Vespas. I just say it's also from like the twenties. It's super old. It's like a clunky, clunky, heavy piece of steel. Maybe fall apart. When people (laughs) say things like "you can't do a wheelie," (laughs) Uh, (laughs) all you're doing is making me want to try it more. And the fact that it's from the twenties and might literally fall apart when the front wheel comes crashing back (laughs) to the ground, or I inevitably run down the photographer because I don't know how to drive a Vespa and it breaks. That's pluck too, you know. That is pluck. Pluck, yeah, it is, Jesse. You got it. You basically got got plucked down at this point. (laughs) Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to author and pastor David Platt. Uh, He's the founder of the organization Radical, and he has a new book called Something Needs to Change. We talk to him about that. Don't miss it. All right, we're moving the show along. Stay tuned. Up next, it's the Hot List. Visions of Graceland. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard 21 Pilots with the Hype Alt Mix. 
Okay, it's time for... It's the hottest, the hottest. It's sizzling. Now, Liz, I have one quick question. Before last, we get going, yeah. Yeah, last time we, that, that we did the hot list together, you yeah. confessed that you Googled pop culture, the word pop culture, before the show. I want to know if you had to guess one item that you think we're discussing this morning. <laughs> What would you like something what, that's currently happening in pop yes. culture that we might yes. be talking about? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Georgia O'Keefe. It's Georgia O'Keefe. So apps like I am not this week has been particularly busy. Listen, you've been recording. I know. I'm giving you a hard time. I'm I'm being I'm being a jerk. I apologize. She's not just hanging lunch. out in the backyard with her chickens this week. This week she's working hard on her book launch, doing her audio. Come on, she's busy, man. I know, busy. I know. I was something I'm with sorry. Justin Bieber Same or way. the Duck Hunters. The duck, duck Dynasty, okay, I mean. Duck. <laughs> duck <laughs> Have we ever done anything with Duck Dynasty? I'm trying to think. The I don't know that we've ever really I like, a quick question before we'll get to the hot list here in a second. Liz, I have a quick question for you and I just want you to be really honest. Just this is a okay. safe place. No one listens to this part. This is this is dead air. Just between, Chandler, just Chandler between turn the off the record. I mean, don't turn it off. Chandler, but don't, you know. But, okay. but what do you think Duck Dynasty is? <laughs> 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 I, I, and I'll say I, I, I can say with certainty I've never seen an episode no, never seen an episode but, but okay, I, i'm aware same, of it same. but i want to hear what you think that just give me your just give me the elevator pitch for duck dynasty oh yeah duck dynasty that's the they're a family uh-huh. that i think lives in like some sort of it i get like swampy vibes yeah. from it Louisiana. that's right very swampy okay so far, and they so i think they're the duck hunters and they well, are they yeah they like hunt for ducks on their swampland. So <laughs> that's pretty close. I mean that's, that's basically close. it. That's, that's and that's they close. make and the the industry the the duck dynasty is that they make um, hunting merchandise. Well now, but I mean uh, oh. they made like hunting duck calls and like deer call and things like that. And then they would go out on like the outdoor network and they would do like like kind of self produced like little hunting shows. And like teach you how to do stuff. And then they got picked up on A&E and they wanted to do a more of a reality show around the family and the big personalities of the family. So it kind of evolved to more of an entertainment thing. But I do feel like I I remember hearing about them in pop culture. It may have been a few years ago, but they were a thing. It has. It's been a while. All right. Coming in number five this week. Uh, it was announced that a former Two and a Half Men and Big Bang Theory producer is going to head the TV department of that Christian studio that's making all those Christian music movies, all those like music biopics, like uh, I Can Only Imagine, and I think the uh, Jeremy Camp one that's coming up believe. next year, building yeah. towards their Infinity War, right? They're their big Christian meet like Jeremy Camp, and don't step on the joke I wrote season. already, Tyler. In the hot list, oh, it's coming right, for Cameron. Cut, cut, cut that out too, Chandler. <laughs> Just mute me, brother. <laughs> well, Mona Garcia is the protege of TV mega producer Chuck Lorre. Uh, she produced three sitcoms for CBS and Netflix is disjointed. Now she's been hired as the head of television for Kingdom, the faith-based studio behind the hit film I Can Only Imagine about casting crown singer Bart Millard and the upcoming Jeremy Camp movie, I Still Believe. According to Deadline, her role will be, quote, identifying and developing family entertainment with broad commercial appeal. 
now that the studio has inked a multi-platform deal with Lionsgate. There's no word yet on what their first TV project will be, but our money... That Jesse wrote this joke. Our money is on an extended CCMU show. <laughs> like the MCU. CCMU. CCMU. Cameron, you butchered it on delivery. Okay? That was not the fault of the joke. It was a good joke. And if you would have delivered it correctly, it would have got the laughs and not stunned silence from everyone staring <laughs> at me. That's right a reference now. to these movies called Marvel. They're, it's hard to explain. They're characters who wear like costumes. And they. Are you d- explaining this to Liz that well, I Marvel? Don't, I don't okay. know. I don't know if she. I, I don't want to assume anything about the. Audience. I know Marvel. Okay. I don't know anything beyond what I just said, <laughs> but I do know the broad genre of yeah. superheroes, yeah. Spider-Man, etc. There you do go. You think, that works. Here, here's a question. I, I just have a question, and this we could come back to this. You might need to think of this for a little while. But let's say we just decide. You know what? Let's just go for it. Let's just be legends. What's your what's your TV show pitch to Kingdom? What's your what's oh, your like Christian for the sitcom? the Christian? Oh, for but it has to be a Christian sitcom, huh? Christian yeah. TV. Well, show. I, I mean, it has to be some sort. Of, doesn't it have to be family like a family entertainment? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, and it I've family already friendly, family friendly, and faith based. Well, and I've already thought about it because I know these people know their lane, and that is making stories about Christian musicians. And my pitch is called Cruise Control, and it's the DC Talk story. And it is basically the plot of Speed 2 Cruise Control. The DC, the D, I've already thought about it, guys. The DC Talk Cruise, the DC Talk Cruise is hijacked at the high seas. And the only people who can save it are Toby, uh, and the other two, uh, the other two. Kevin it's Max. a thrilling, it's a thrilling Michael, Michael like Tate. 24 type of show. Who's it's called Cruise That's Control, a DC talk story. Who is and the villain? Chandler asked who the villain is in this scenario. It's revealed later in the series that the, it's actually been hijacked by Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen never got his cruise. Now he's taken one for himself. And it's a thriller. And it's also oh, a sitcom man. because that's part of the thing, too. And so it's very weird, but it's hijacked by Carmen and his goons. And his goons are all the demons in his old videos that he would shoot. Remember those old Carmen videos where he would literally murder them with handguns? Like yeah. he, would, he would like gunsling demons. They yeah. are his goons. It, there's a supernatural. I forgot to mention there's a supernatural element to the show where they're actual <laughs> that have hijacked the DC talk crew. So anyway, there's my pitch. Mona, I await your call and your check. <laughs> hey, you know, we could do... I mean, uh, we talked about it on the last podcast quite extensively, and it's been all the uh, conversation on our Twitter feed is, you know, the existence of ghosts. Liz, what's your take on the existence yes. of ghosts or not? What do you, do you think I ghosts? love this conversation. Yes! I mean, I yeah. say that emphatically, and I think about it probably once every three years. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I think I believe I would tend towards being on the mystic side of things. Yes. So I don't like, I don't buy into the whole ghost industry. I do think it's really fun. Like I grew up being like, I love going to haunted houses. I enjoy the thrill of, of like the story and being scared. I don't actually believe any of that. I do not think that I understand the universe and the afterlife and the spirit world enough to make a definitive claim that ghosts or spirits in the physical dimension that there couldn't be some sort of crossover. But I think the industry built around it is 
malarkey, but kind on of the, fun. And- on the last podcast, we got into this conversation, yeah. and I Googled and ended up reading First Samuel chapter 3, where mm. Saul, you know, Samuel had died, and Saul wanted to seek his counsel. And so in a disguise, he went and found the the medium who could the speak to the dead, the witch of Endor, and went and met with her. And she summoned the ghost of Samuel who came and spoke to Saul. It's in the Bible that ghosts exist. I also feel like if you believe in angels, I don't know that we could live in a world where angels exist, but ghosts But But, but the difference is that angels and demons are the spirit realm. And I don't think any... Bible believing Christian would dispute the existence of the spirit realm and 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 angels and demons. So what and makes demonic a ghost activity. specifically a ghost? Seems like if they're if they're nice, they're an angel, and if they're well, in the Bible demon, and in First Samuel three, it was literally the ghost of Samuel who said, "Why did you bother mm, so it's like me? Like a, why a did you human who has yeah. moved on? Yeah, to the next yeah, yeah. and that's not a demon or an angel. That's what we're trying Samuel. to say is there's a good chance that Vespa from the 1920s is haunted. And yeah. I would be here for it well, as long as it's haunted by George O'Keefe. If you notice on Liz's book cover, the picture of her on the Vespa is a muted picture. It's like faded. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually her as a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> you think it's George O'Keefe as a ghost? Like come back to either bless or possibly curse your your book sales. Cameron Strang, you yeah. guys heard it here first. <laughs> it's the list. It's the ghost of Liz Fork and Bohannon on the cover of her book. <laughs> In the future, yeah, coming back to the haunt the book. I have seen too much. I I have lived and worked in parts of the world where witchcraft is pretty common, and yeah. Yeah. It, it's too. There's just too much stuff that is trippy for me to deny the existence of weird stuff like that. We yeah. we are uh, at Halloween time in a few weeks. We are going to have a spectacular edition of the relevant podcast. Yeah. Do you, would you be willing to come back on and tell us one cool? W- creepy witchcraft story that you witnessed. Okay. Cool witchcraft? Okay, she's nodding. She's nodding. I'm, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Nodding, I'm on a yes. podcast. I think you, cool. you have the look of a woman who knows exactly what story it's going to be. Too. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. I got one. Well, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, witchcraft, maybe just good ghost stories. I love, like, there is nothing. The idea, that, and this makes me sound so weird and cheesy, but, like, friends no. hanging out around a campfire telling ghost stories is living my absolute best life. Wow. That's cool. I love that. Also, do you guys want to know something really fun? I get super into it. I love telling ghost stories. I love listening to them specifically around a campfire. Did you guys ever watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, On Nickelodeon? Am I dating myself? You guys might be a little bit older than me. Okay. I loved that show. And at the beginning of the show, the fire, when it was like time to get into the story, the fire would like crackle blue. I don't know if you guys remember that. And, uh, if you put hot chocolate mix, if you throw hot chocolate mix into a campfire, it does this like crackly, like blue pop. That is the best way to like kick off the ghost telling stories. Just, just to let you guys know. This is a fun fact. Are you afraid of the dark is coming back and they just released a trailer for the new one with the new midnight society. Yeah. It's made for children, but I'm going to totally watch it. Yeah. This isn't a hot list item. This is just something that happened. And you know, (laughs) that are you afraid of the dark is coming back. This is the most important thing that I have heard in a long time. A trailer came out this past week. So you can go watch it and then see the new midnight society in action. Is it still for kids or is it for adults now? Yeah, It's for kids. It's going to be a Nickelodeon. They're bringing back. Liz, ah. did you grow up in a conservative Christian home? No. no. Okay. 
So that's yeah. why. I, yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch. Yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? No, I grew up like, yeah, I could do that. My mom is like super. She would like let us watch scary things and then like dress up and put masks on and like legitimately scare us. And I have now passed <laughs> that along. I have a three year old son. And I don't know, maybe it's not healthy, but I grew up with like fear kind of being a like, this is kind of fun and scary. And my three-year-old loves to be scared. Like I will legitimately jump out from behind doors, like completely unsuspecting, like yell as loud as I can. And he does this. And I know listeners can't see me, but he'll like his whole body, he'll go like his eyes get really big and his jaw kind of drops and he kind of is stunned for a little bit. And then he just like burst into laughter, like thinks it's the best emotion in the whole world. So I don't know, maybe there's something genetic. To not listen to fear. You know, fear is like a useful tool out in the world, but like he needs to be aware that if you're feeling scared, you got to listen to that instinct. No, No, start laughing at it. She's she's freeing her son to have fun campfire tales later in life because her parents are, she's being a cool mom and not like I'm not a regular mom I'm a cool mom yeah, yeah it's not it's not because cool when you're it's not cool when your son <laughs> thinks that like oh big anaconda that's that's hilarious no, no, no. no Tyler I'm sorry to blow up your spot here but Tyler in his household there's a lot of restrictions and he's just jealous because my parents lost True. the war at Gargamel on the Smurfs when I laughed <laughs> I couldn't watch it because of Gargamel they just gave up and they're like alright we're just going to let him watch literally what it, I was watching R-rated movies at like 12 and I thought they were awesome you what? know yeah. yeah same same I actually wrote about that in my book when I was like 10 I snuck out of bed and watched this movie called Mechanical Overdrive on TNT have you guys seen this movie no no okay Over- it has that, that I think right Emilio Estevez in it it does have a 12% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes right now so I highly highly suggest but it's like this horrible horror movie about like you're just everyday items getting like possessed and taking over. So like a bread knife and a blender and it's all like attacking humans. It's bad. It's very gory, but I would sneak up in the middle of the night and watch scary movies. I, I, I think that was based on a short Stephen King short. I I, I think that's true. I, 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 you're gonna say, I think that's I think based that's on a right. true story. Yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. I'm, lo- maybe. I'm looking at table topic cards in front of me. Just happened to be. And, and this one says, what's your biggest fear? Oh. What's your biggest fear? Liz, what's your biggest fear? I think my probably biggest fear is feeling like at the end of my life, I like left stuff on the table because I was Mm. too afraid to pursue and become the person that God created me to be. Wow. Second card right underneath it. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Have you ever turned down an opportunity because of fear? (gasps) There you go. See, it knew. Really existential crisis. Yeah. Do you guys have like phobia? I don't have things like. So here's the thing about my fears. I am a very rational person. Like yeah. my fear of things is directly in correspondence to the actual danger that it poses to me. Okay. So I am more afraid. I actually legitimately am afraid of like getting in my car and going down the highway. Like I think about like this is the most dangerous thing that I do ever. Like more people yeah. die doing this than like all of these other like freak weird things. So if it's like a common way that people die, I'm like, my fear just increases with that. But I'm curious, like, do you guys have like phobia fears, irrational fears, or do you have rational fears? I mean, I, I don't, re- I don't really feel like I fear things regularly. You know what I mean? Like I, I've, I don't like, I don't like the only thing I have like a phobia of like a legit, like get nervous is, and I've talked about this before, is is 
rats and mice and it's no other it's no okay, other no. little creature or rodent i think it's the fleshy tails there's something about it i'm like there's the worst it's the worst yeah and they're super smart they are super smart and they carried the bubonic plague and yeah i told you about like i feel about like tentacles like like any sort of sea monster situation whenever it's in a movie or, or even if i'm reading an article about about the the ocean i don't like to scroll down in case they have a squid or an octopus or something in there it, 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 it freaked me no thank you <laughs> fortunately fortunately i live it's it's I, rational i don't know if i would call that a rational fear or not although they are scary and they are big and i live as far away from them as i can so do you well, get, I, do you get scared when you're when you're in a plane that's going over the ocean because if it goes down yeah. you, the squids will come up and get your rafts oh yeah i would rather i, I would rather crash into a, I'd rather crash onto land for sure than in the ocean. Even though you have a higher likelihood yeah. of surviving, and the, we're yeah. we're going to get eaten by some sort of giant freaky <laughs> kraken type Pirates of the Caribbean thing. I, nope, nope. Keep it away from me. All right, coming in number four this week, the Avet Brothers release a new song that takes on America's gun culture this week. The single is called "Bang Bang." It explores the psychological effects of watching violent movies and television shows. Jesse. It's also a not-so-subtle critique on America's gun culture with lyrics like, if you think there isn't any connection between all the violence you see in real life and what's on the screen, well, it seems painfully clear to me that you're living in a fantasy. Here's a clip. Pride and vengeance all around Another bang-bang shoot-em-up movie Meant to blow my mind Make my heart pound Bridges and tempers on fire Please turn it off, I'm tired of bang, 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 shoot 'em up movies. Their, uh, their new album, it's called Closer Than Together. It drops on October 4th, three days after Liz's book. So you can get her book and this could be the soundtrack as you read it. There you go. There you go. If you like Avett, stay tuned to Bit Here Irrelevant. You never know when Avett Brothers might show up. You just got to keep, you got to keep, keep, you got to stay tuned your number one favorite pop culture and faith outlet. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, Hanson might be mentioned every once in a while. Handsome? Hanson. Hanson. Like, oh, Hanson. Liz, oh, you, you, pulled, handsome. you pulled in the sure. sandlot. Yeah, I mean, we're handsome you pulled in too, Nickelodeon. You pulled in Hanson. <laughs> culture didn't stop <laughs> in 96. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> Things have been made since 96. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, that dynasty. Time when pop culture was very yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there was. I, I should have been on the relevant podcast as a twelve-year-old. I yeah, exactly. Coming in number three this week, James Corden gave a powerful response to body shaming. Uh, the Late Late Show host had seen Bill Maher claim, "quote That fat shaming doesn't need to end. It needs to make a comeback because quote some amount of shame is good." Well, James said that after seeing the clip, he told himself, oh man, somebody needs to say something about this. If only there was someone with a platform who knew what it was actually like to be overweight. Then I realized, ah, that'll be me. With equal measures, self de- self-deprecating humor and sincerity, uh, Corden explained the harm of Bill Maher's form of tough love, which he showed was really just bullying. He also debunked misconceptions about the obesity epidemic and discussed the role that socioeconomics and genetics play in body weight. Here's a clip. But the reasons for that are complex. In fact, this entire issue is a lot more complex than he's making it out to be. 
Now, Billy's right about one thing. He really, really is. This is a health problem. It's an issue that needs to be discussed clearly and honestly. It's an epidemic. And when you look at the numbers, it's terrifying. There are numerous reasons why people live their lives at an unhealthy weight. Junk food, portion control, a lack of exercise. These are all major contributing factors. But poverty is also an issue. A study conducted by the University of Michigan Health System found that childhood obesity is directly linked to poverty. But, fun fact, if you shame obese children, Whole Foods will give them free salads. (laughs) I'm kidding. That's not how Whole Foods works. Sometimes genetics plays a role. You know, there's a molecular geneticist named Jeffrey Friedman who discovered a hormone called leptin. uh, Defects in the leptin gene are linked directly to obesity. They are. And here's a fun fact. If you shame the gene, it actually fixes itself. I'm kidding. That's not how science works. (laughs) A lack of shame is not the issue here. Man, I... I love this response to because one Bill Maher is and frequently is uh, not just a provocateur, but he can be a real jerk. And, you know, for Such a bully. Yeah. And for Gordon to come out and uh, address the, you know, Bill Maher's terrible hot take with, you know, like I said, he was self-deprecating. He was funny. He was respectful, but he also came, you know, he brought receipts. He had numbers that show why, you know, the idea of shaming is just ineffective in addition to being cruel. I thought it was a great response. Yeah, I I think it's really difficult, obviously, like the the conversation around obesity and body shaming. It's very, very delicate. This is a really hard one, and it's not one that we have really worked that hard in the U.S. or, or probably anywhere to get right. Uh, Bill Maher is obviously proof of that, but but you don't have to be as explicitly bad at it as Maher was to get it wrong. So it's as somebody who also doesn't watch a lot of Corden and and isn't like the not a, the biggest fan of the guy, I thought this was a really articulate and cool way of, of handling something uh, that could hopefully I'd like to see it set a better tone moving forward for the ways these conversations are addressed because we do need to get better at knowing how to talk yeah. about. Yeah. And not I would say not just obesity, but I think the conversation of just about this illusion that shame changes behavior would be a fundamental yeah, yeah. shift in how our country works and operates if we could understand the reality that behavior does not change because of shame. Like what shame does to our brain and our physiological response and our ability to move and change and grow is actually completely shut down the moment that shame is triggered. And I think that applies to the obesity conversation. It also applies, I think, to any conversation where we're trying to like help incite behavior change or help even win somebody to our side ideologically. And I think we exist right now in a culture that largely uses shame as a weapon and we demonize people and we make them feel ashamed. Um, and I think it's a really interesting conversation. I'm really grateful that I think it is coming more into the the like pop culture forefront, specifically with Brene Brown and the work that she's done around it. But it just feels so archaic that someone yeah. could actually still in 2019 believe that the way we change behaviors for the long haul and in a healthy way is through shame. It's just really toxic. And I think it makes me really sad for whoever said that his like kids, like, is that how you raise your kids? You try to like shame them into changing their behavior because if so, that's a really big bummer and you can come live with me. 
archaic, <laughs> archaic. I think J- John Ronson, who's a journalist and a really interesting writer, we interviewed him a couple of years ago about this, but he wrote a book about public shaming and looked at the history of it. And, you know, he found these records in like, you know, uh, Puritan New England and why they stopped like the stocks and scarlet letters and things like that, because pastors and, and and this is obviously hundreds of years ago but um you know when they would put people in town square and kind of shame them for their misdeeds the pastors got concerned about how excited their congregations would get that you know they were it, it it caused such concern that that was what drew them away not just that how ineffective shaming was as like a deterrent but like no this is doing something bad to the people shaming like it's and you, and you entertainment see that. and yeah. and it wasn't hundreds of years ago. Like now, instead of the stockyards, it's Twitter. Like at the end of the day, I think we've only gone in the wrong direction because it's become more public. And then I think proximity is we have no proximity anymore. So at least back then there was the chance that after you publicly humiliated someone, they walked by you and you had to look at them and look at the effects of your, shaming on them. And today it's like, no, you can just like get on Twitter and run your mouth and uh, you don't ever have to interact with that person as a human. You're not in community with them. You don't experience them and the dignity, inherent dignity that they have. Uh, I think it's worse than it's ever been, frankly, in our, in our current culture. Yeah. Just like Bill Maher's comedy, worse than it's ever been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Going the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. Really. All right. Is. Coming in number two this week. Uh, <laughs> Man, we can't stop covering this. Kim Kardashian West this week implied that Kanye's Sunday services are evolving into an actual church. The reality TV star, prison reform activist, and wife of rapper Kanye West visited the talk show The View this week. And while she was there, she was asked about the weekly church-like gatherings organized by Kanye. She said that it isn't officially a 501c3 nonprofit yet, but it seems to be moving that direction. She even called it a Christian church. This weekend, Kanye brought Sunday service to Atlanta's New Birth Church. Here's a clip. Yeah, Kanye started this, um, I think, just to heal himself and made it, it was a really personal thing, and it was just friends and family. And he has had an amazing evolution of being born again and being saved by Christ. And he has now um, made it, you know, people always ask, well, what are you worshiping and what is this? It is a Christian service, like a musical ministry. It is, you know, they, they talk about Jesus and God. and Is there a minister sing. there? Sometimes. So if okay. he goes to a different church where he has, they've shown up and mm-hmm. done these surprise little pop-up Sunday services at other churches. So whatever pastor speaks there. Um, and sometimes at the one in Calabasas, he'll have friends that are pastors that are in town get up and speak. But for the most part, it's just a musical ministry. Um, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't have his like 501-3C yet, but, um, you know, to make it an official church. But it is um, for God and and it's a Christian church. I think that was sometimes people are like, well, what is this? And right. what are they, what are they doing? But it started off healing for him and now it's become something that he just really wants to share for everybody else. Wow. Look at that. Liz, uh, real quick. uh, Kanye West performs a type of music called rap. Rap music. And uh, rap, it started in the mid-80s, so you might have heard about it because in the 90s it was big too. Uh, Kim Kardashian West, it's tough. There's really no 1990s 
context for what she is. But well, her dad was a part of the Simpson, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Simpson, trial. Trial. Simpson trial. Yeah. Um, Done. That is well within my decade Robert, of understanding. I, 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 okay, listen, I was watching your face while that clip, and like Cameron says, we've kind of covered this exhaustedly, but I did feel like this was an interesting evolution that, oh, I, it's kind of notable that this might actually be forming into something more formal. But I was watching your face as this clip was playing yeah. and trying to judge your numerous reactions to <laughs> you, went it, you, you went through the rainbow of yeah. the, the, every emotion. I was very curious if you could articulate just briefly. Like I said, we've talked about this a lot, but I did want to play that clip. Can you just articulate very briefly what your reaction is to this? I was shocked. I like all I know about the Kardashians is that they have a reality show. And I didn't know that Kanye was even a Christian. It's the whole thing. I just really felt like I was taken through a journey. The point at which he's not a registered 501c3 was a little alarming and shocking yeah. and thinking yeah. about how, you know, is he using this to build his brand? But then there was this yeah. other part of me that was like, hey, the Lord uses everybody where they're at. Who am I to judge? And then there was like a lot of suspicion that was triggered and then some judgment. And then my so- my heart got soft again. It and was I was a like, who am coaster. I to say? You know, that was, I really, I really went through it. Yeah. Uh-huh. The the lingo of like Christianese being used, like in my brain, Kim Kardashian is only like this very, I don't know, pop culture figure. And so hearing like that kind of level of Christiany talked out of that voice was shocking to me. And it gave me different feelings, some good, some yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being very honest. That was my emotional roller coaster that I just went on in that 30 seconds. That was my review that the this new CBS executive gave to Cruise Control a DC Talk story. It gave me some feelings, <laughs> some good, many bad. And so <laughs> it's weird that you said that. <laughs> All right, coming in number one this week on the hot list. Uh, Brad Pitt this week opened up about his evolving thoughts on God. Uh, Liz Brad Pitt uh, is a film actor Shut in up. movies. He also went to Mizzou, which was my alma mater. So I know who That's Brad Pitt cool. is. I didn't know that. Yeah, did- he was in the. I think he dropped out before he graduated, but he was in the journalism school, which is where I was at Mizzou. So we're oh, basically friends. I do hey, think Brad, it's funny that up? I do think it's funny that you're like. So I know who he is because he went to my college. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> There's upperclassmen. It's famous for other things, but anyway. Uh, In his new film, Ad Astra, uh, Brad plays an astronaut on a mission to uh, discover a secret left by his father. Ooh. He told GQ that he and the film's director, James Gray, wanted to explore some deeper themes and big ideas with the movie, explaining that uh, the two, quote, talked early on about this premise of the inability to connect, which was the springboard for the piece. But now what? and how to start illustrating that. And then there are other ideas started emerging around that. Then what is connection? When the interviewer asked what he believed about the possibility of connection, uh, Brad talked about his history of faith and evolution from Christian to atheist to now a sort of questioning mystic. He said, oh man, I've gone through everything. Like, I cling to religion. I grew up with Christianity. Always questioned it, but it worked at times. And then when I got on my own, I completely left it and called myself agnostic. I tried a few spiritual things, but it didn't feel right. Then I called myself an atheist for a while, just kind of being rebellious, but I wasn't really. But I kind of labeled myself that for a while. It felt punk punk rock enough. And then I found myself coming back around to just belief in, I hate to use the word spirituality, but just a belief in that we're all connected. 
Uh, it's not the first time Brad Pitt's spoken about his Christian upbringing. In 2017, he said his family eventually shifted from being traditional Baptist to more Pentecostal style of faith, saying they, quote, jumped to a more charismatic movement, which got into speaking in tongues and raising your hands and some goofy beep, beep. Uh, when asked if he believed in speaking in tongues, he said, I know they believe it. I know they're releasing something. God, we're complicated. We're complicated creatures. That's, that's what he said. There you go. Can't disagree there. It's interesting between him and uh, and then on the daily a couple of days ago we covered sort of a, a similar uh, I would say spiritual musing from Len Manuel Miranda. Yeah, both of these guys feel very much uh, uh, they they feel I, I think Miranda's term was uh, uh I can't get away from religion or something like that mm-hmm. or, or it was something uh, I feel connected to religion. Both these guys maybe not quite ready to put roots down into any one. Uh, religious teaching, but they they both feel very much like they can't. It's part of their DNA. There's some sort of spirituality that is incapable. It's interesting. It's probably true for a lot of people. Brad Pitt's deal to me struck me very much so as the explanation of what Richard Rohr calls the construction, deconstruction, reconstruction like cycle yeah. of mm-hmm. spirituality. That that's like what well, that is the journey that we're all going through. Is like we have what we're handed, and there is something good and right and fruitful about the season of kind of building up and protecting yourself and beliefs. And as you like progress spiritually, we all go through a season, some more dramatic than others of like deconstructing that, like leaving behind what isn't true and right and doesn't fit us any longer. And then of course the, the true and really good work is in the process of reconstructing. Like, what is it that I really believe what really sits as truth and then kind of building that out. And as I was listening to that, it just, it seemed like Brad is very much so in and aware of that cycle of construction, deconstruction and reconstruction. That last, that last statement he said, uh, I know they're releasing something. God, we're complicated. We're complicated creatures. Jesse, complicated creatures could be a show on that new Christian TV network. I complicated like it. I creatures. Do. I do. It's deep conversations. It's kind of like it's kind of like Duck Dynasty, though. I mean, there's like there's. I think there's an outdoorsy element element I to think, complicated I think, creatures. I think I think it's it's, it's like Oprah Super Soul Sunday, where okay. we have complicated conversations. Then we go hunt in a swamp for actual complicated creatures. Actually, it's, it's, I'm it's, not uh, kidding you. There is an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode that this is reminding me of. Really? This guy like lives in the swamp by a sea, and at night he like turns into this swampy creature. I'm not kidding. Look it up. And uh, that that creature speaks in tongues. Really, yeah. really yeah. ironic. Complicated yeah, creature. Absolutely, yeah. that and, creature and, and, is yeah. often slain by the spirit. A swampy creature like Duck Dynasty, or what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll is it Phil do- Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it for. It's the hardest, the hardest. All right, stay tuned. Up next, David Platt joins us. Got that shine bright, drip on me tough. Knowing that I gotta come with it like a potluck. Been a young boy with a plate full, no dad present, a lot of hate toward him. Been alone, feeling like I can't do it. Then God stepped in with a plan for me up. Hey, breakfast meetings out on 60th. Labbing after school, using my talents just to serve them with. Learning from the greats, I've never been the type to fake. I put my city on my back, I'm on the road with no You're listening to Stephen Malcolm and Jay Way. The song is Summertime. Well, before we get to David Platt, I want to tell you some exciting news. Uh, We are getting back in the mode of launching some podcasts. And this week, we debuted a brand new church leadership podcast named Called. 
Called is hosted by my former pastor, Josh Turner, as well as Bianca Oltoff and an amazing cast of other influential leaders from around the world. Each episode will tackle another topic that uh, is important to church leaders, whether it be soul care uh, and dealing with anxiety to uh, protecting pastoral marriages to the big issues facing the church, uh, like politics in the pulpit or racial division in the church today. It's an amazing podcast. It debuted this week. And before we get to David Platt, I want to take two minutes and give you a little bit of an introduction to Called. We all want to see church leaders thrive. But beyond all of the resources, all of the conferences, all of the mission statements, and all of the strategies, there are real people with real needs who are leading our churches. That's why we're launching Called. It's a place for real conversations to happen with the real people making a real impact. My name is Josh Turner, and I was a pastor and a church planner for 15 years. And I'm Bianca Oltoff, a pastor, author, speaker, and nonprofit founder. Each week, we'll be tackling issues that people like us in ministry deal with every day, from soul care and protecting our leaders' marriages, to looking at the art of a sermon, navigating politics in the pulpit, and a ton more. Every episode will feature deep conversations about the issues that matter to pastors and leaders. We'll also be joined by some of the world's most influential church leaders to learn from their experiences and have life-giving conversations about making an impact and building communities that last. We invite you to join us every week and be part of the conversation. This is Called. From the Relevant Podcast Network, we're excited to announce Called. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out Called everywhere you get your podcasts. So if you're listening to us right now, just go ahead and, you know, scroll on over, search for Called, subscribe today. If you are involved in church leadership or care about the church, you'll love it. The very first episode, the one that went out this week, features a conversation with John Mark Comer about anxiety. It's uh, something you don't want to miss. Well, David Platt is an author and pastor and founder of the organization Radical. In his new book, Something Needs to Change, he explains how a hiking trip to one of the most remote areas of the world challenged him to think about the ways Christians can alleviate global suffering. Our very own Tyler Huckabee recently spoke with David about the book and the change that followers of Christ can bring to the world. Here's our conversation with David Platt. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. I was reading a little bit uh, about the book, and it sounds like it, it sort of was uh, inspired um, by a, a trip you took. Could you could you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah. So this book, something needs to change. It it is really the overflow of multiple trips that I've taken in uh, the Himalayas, just some remote regions uh, in the Himalayas, where the, the best way I could describe it is just a collision of urgent spiritual and physical needs. So like urgent physical need. Uh, they did some research not long ago in these, in these villages and they found that half the kids were dying before their eighth birthday. And uh, like, I, I don't even know how to imagine that. I've got four kids. Like one of my biggest fears is something happening to one of them. I can't imagine being an expectation for something to happen to, two of them. So anyway, uh, just so severe poverty, uh, 
lack of access to whether it's clean water, medicine, uh, so people dying of preventable diseases, and then the way like traffickers prey on that poverty. And uh, it's so just urgent physical need combined with urgent spiritual needs. So most people in those mountains have little to no knowledge of Jesus. Like talking, you go, you go to somebody on the trail and you ask them if they know anything about Jesus. And they, they say, who's that? It's almost like you're talking about somebody in a village nearby that they've not met. I mean, just have no, no idea. So, um, so little to no knowledge of, of Jesus. These mountains are like birthplace of Hinduism and, and Buddhism and just very little access to the gospel. So when I think about our urgent need in the world on a spiritual level, on a physical level, like the, these mountains and the villages in them and the men and women and kids in them represent kind of a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need. And, and that, that leads to all kinds of questions that you start to wrestle with uh, when you come in. And yeah, all kinds of things you start to wrestle with when you're in those mountains. And so this book is an attempt to, uh, part of me wishes I could take like multitudes of people into those mountains with me, yeah. um, but yeah. that's, that's not physically possible. So this is my attempt to bring those realities to uh, hopefully a lot of people who, who uh, will encounter those needs through this book. It sounds like at least part of the the issues that you're going to be grappling with here in this book is the problem of evil, which which is just it's the oldest bugaboo we, we've really got in the Christian faith or not the oldest, but it's been around for a long time. And obviously, there's been a lot of attempts to to crack that question in a way that is in some way, if not satisfying, then, then at least can help our minds grapple with that as believers. What, how did you approach that question in this book? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's part of why I wanted to write this book because like, I, I've, I've written things. I, I preach uh, a yeah. lot. And so truths that I believe and things that I write, but part of what I try to do in this book is to, uh, what I put it is to kind of give a behind the scenes look with wrestling in my own heart with things I preach and I believe just where is God's provision for the impoverished? Where is God's protection for those who are being trafficked? And if, if the gospel really is good and true and God really is good, then, then why are some people born into what just, seems like a life of earthly suffering only to move on to eternal suffering. Like, and yeah, so what yeah. I do in the book is I just, I open up my journals that I, uh, wrote, uh, on, on these trails and just wrestle through those questions. Just try to honestly wrestle through them. Cause it's one thing to ask those questions from the comforts of our homes or churches. It's a whole other thing to ask those questions when you're, yeah, face to face with uh, a guy whose wife and kids died in a matter of hours from a preventable disease, or when you're looking into the face of a 12 year old girl who's been taken captive and trained from her youth to solicit sex from men, like it's, or you're you're looking at bodies burning on a funeral pyre, uh, knowing that that person never even heard the name of Jesus. So. Uh, what I try to do is just uh, bring those questions to 
to bear on real life and wrestle with them in that moment. And then, and to be honest, like not come to like, yeah, these nice tidy conclusions where we can just uh, tie a bow on that and move on. But to, to look at what God's word says in light of those things, but yeah, to, to say, well, maybe there's some things we don't fully understand, but what do we know? And how does that affect the way we live? I'm curious about the title. Something needs to change. Uh, it, it sounds very urgent, but what is it? You said the, the copy I got about the book says it's not a risk free read. Um, what is what in your mind is that thing that needs to change or are those things that need to change? And uh, and what exactly are people risking by reading this book or how do you hope people are changed by the, by the time they're done with it? Yeah, the uh, I mean, the, the title of the book comes from the end of my first trek through these mountains. We're at the airport, me and a few guys, and we're about to fly back. And uh, uh, one of them just asked, like, how would you summarize your takeaway from this journey? And I said... I mean, the words just came out of my mouth. It was something that changed like my life, my family, church, uh, the future, like my, my life. I, part of me would like to like just stick my head in the sand and pretend like I didn't see all these things and experience all these things over the last week. Like part of me really wanted to go back to like life is normal, but I knew there was, that was not possible. And so, and so I went on a journey in the days to come that I share about in the book that, uh, yeah, my, my, I experienced a variety of different changes. So what I say in the book is, so I, I want to take some risk in sharing like behind the scenes, look into my own heart and my own wrestling with things I've written and truths, I believe. Um, and I want to call others who are reading this to take some risk. Now I, I mentioned, I, I'm avoiding, I'm taking some of the risk out of the picture. Like you don't have to, I fly on a helicopter in a remote part of the world where you're totally disconnected days away from getting any help. If anything happens, you don't have to worry about altitude sickness, uh, dysentery, malaria, whatever. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking that risk out, but I'm, I'm inviting people to go on a journey that, uh, might leave them at the end of that trek saying, uh, well, feeling pretty unguarded, unfiltered and open to a whole new world of what God might want to do in and through your life as a result of going on this trek, reading this book. That was David Platt. Make sure to check out his new book, Something Needs to Change. Out now. Listening to Active Child. Song is All Eyes on You. Okay, it's time for. If you got something you want to know, now's the time to ask. It's Ask the Cast. Ask the Cast, the Liz Fork and Bohannon edition. I like it. You guys went on Twitter, uh, hit us up at Re- Relevant Podcast this week, and sent us some questions for Ask the Cast. I will randomly throw some of them out now here we go okay alexander asks this is, you know a nice little icebreaker uh was there a movie you saw that made you cry that going in you were not expecting to cry 
Well, I it's not a movie I saw. It's one I wrote, and it's called Cruise Control, <laughs> a DC Talk Story. And the third act has a twist. And I was weeping, guys. This is Wept. really something special. Uh, no, I, I I don't know that I've ever Wept cried. Wept at your own words. I actually cried through the last three chapters of my own book. I don't no. know what that says. But like, I like, uh, couldn't hold back my own tears. On the audio book? Yes. Like reading it? I oh, had wow. to stop and restart it because I kept crying and my voice wow. was like cracking and I couldn't hold it together. Wow. Anyway, I think, that's going to make think, your uh, listeners ball. I've I've heard I've heard it said that like in a talk or a, you know sermon speech audiobook whatever that if you get to the line of crying like if the speaker gets to the line of crying but like the audience will lose it like bawling but if the if the speaker cries the audience doesn't have as strong of a reaction because the audience feels like if you can toe the line the audience will feel the tension and the release of the emotional tension will come from the audience. But if the speaker releases the emotional tension, then nobody's really moved as well. So did you, did you toe the line? Did you, or did you actually, it'll depend how they edit it. Like I would have to stop, pull my act together, come back. So I don't know how it'll end up coming out. If it'll feel like if people will even notice, if he'll like choose the parts where I was like more pulled together or if it'll be like very obvious that I was on the struggle bus. Mm. All right. Jessica asks, planning a baby shower and I hate the stereotypical games. What games would you invent or play at a baby shower? Like, Oh, wow. Well, as I said earlier, I've had some really great experience with pool volleyball. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) if you need an extra person, get that lifeguard in and, uh, you know, have yourself a game. Baby shower. Why are you answering? You've never been to a baby shower. I mean, this is Ask the Cast and I'm Which part that of the cast. Yeah, I thought we were all, the, the, the we, like, we genderized all, baby shower model, I think, is very odd and sets. I'm a very pro both the husband and the wife, father and mother, being at the shower. I'll just take this serious. I don't have like a quippy, witty idea, but our baby shower yeah. was one of the best days of my entire life. And we said, it was my husband and I, we invited all of our friends, men and women. We said, no gifts, no games. Come with a word, a prayer, a poem, a piece of art, like share your journey about being a parent, speak life and truth over us as parents to be. And it was one of the best days of my whole life. It was, there's just so few places in our culture where we like do that. That sounds amazing. I would be so uncomfortable, like with the attention being done. You were well, the attention was more so on the people like sharing, okay, like okay. someone had brought, wrote a poem or like a, sh- a short story. I had a friend that like made a piece of art. I have a friend that speaks fluent Mandarin and he like did this like live kind of like wrote out this like prayer or word for our future children in Mandarin and like taught us the meaning of that and the history. And so it wasn't, it was actually the attention was really split between the attendants who were like kind of co-creating the experience with us. What did you vet any of it or like, what if it was no. really lame? Like what if your poem was terrible? Like the guy's poem. You didn't invite, I don't think get the impression you hang with a, a crowd who would bring a lame yeah, we did. We did. We do all of our vetting before that point in friendship. Yeah. You know, we have them do like a creative writing exercise. We have that. We uh, see yeah. their reading list from the last twelve months. But that happens like before we agree to yeah. go to coffee. L- with you. L- there's there's a reason we weren't invited. Is what you're yeah. Saying. yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Lame <laughs> poets. Lame poets have been weeded out of Liz's social circle yeah. long ago. Only 
probably like a fourth of people who came participated. So there were people that were like, I'm not, this isn't my thing, but I'm still going to okay. be here. To that's like, a, that's actually, yeah, yeah. I would that's be the dummy that showed up and be like, uh, I brought categories and uh, a volleyball <laughs> in case a game breaks out. So we had like a friend who's super funny and he wrote a very funny, irreverent poem and it was perfect. Yeah. Like I loved that. It was like that followed by like Mary Oliver. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Jeff asks, would you rather spend the rest of your life with a sailboat as your home or an RV as your home? Hardcore RV. Not even a question. Yeah. The idea of being surrounded by water, not fun to me. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Somebody name that poet. Anybody speaking of poetry? That guy from your shower. Yeah. (laughs) He was very good. I was in tears. (laughs) Is that the Mandarin poem? (laughs) <laughs> Translated to English for us. Yes. I wouldn't. Yeah, no way. I, you couldn't get me on a sailboat for the rest of my life. But uh, an RV would, would rule. Take that one out to the desert. You know, I would love to take it out to uh, like to uh, uh, New Mexico. It sounds like a dream. Well, Crystal asks, pick one. Which do you prefer, meatloaf the singer or meatloaf the food? <laughs> okay. I've already, I've already established this. I don't do loafed meat. Okay, <laughs> meat does not belong in loaf form. <laughs> Okay, like bread exclusively. You don't loaf meat. Okay, it should not be loafed. Liz, you seem to again. I'm trying to read your face. Are you pro? I think I I feel that's my like Midwest showing, like a good loaf of meatloaf with like a side of ketchup that you dip it into. I don't know if it's actually the taste and the uh, if I know what's going into it that I feel great about, but it feels like home to me. Feels like home to me. Can that? Can we make the show a little bit more of a musical? Like that would be a moment where I, my in my dream world, my yeah. fellow cast members, we just go for it. There's some Join harmony. You? We're Wait, all into you? it. Anybody? Speaking no. of speaking of of, of musical theater, I I roomed with a guy in college who was very into musical theater. He was a performer. And he one day I came to the room and we I had we hadn't been we hadn't been roommates very long. And I came to the room and he was blasting a musical. And I think it was I'm going to butcher it. I think it's French. Tyler, Man of La Mancha. Is that a a, a, a French? I believe, I, that, I believe that's Italian. But either way, yes. he's like blasting it. And it's like, you know, and I came in and I was like, oh, dude, is this meatloaf? <laughs> you know, because meatloaf is very I don't know if you guys. Chandler, maybe you can take us out on some a classic meatloaf song, but he's very theatrical, you know? Right. And my roommate looked at me with hatred in his eyes, and he was like, how dare you? How dare you? I'm like, I honestly thought it was meatloaf, and I am sorry. And now I'm kind of hungry for meatloaf, and usually I don't like that sort of thing. So, yeah. Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. Man of La Mancha. They're going to they're gonna get me. Man yeah. of La Mancha is a Spanish. It's Don Quixote. It's the story of Don Quixote. Yeah. yeah. Musicals are Musical very fun. divisive. I just... Yeah, you love them or You hate don't them. meet people that are like lukewarm on musicals. You no. love them or you hate them. And I feel like it's a pretty... I think that they're... It's a pretty good measure of if you're a good person or a bad person. I, to me, you know, the, I've noticed the, this. The, the relevant crowd is pretty into... The, the readers always like a good musical. Whenever, whenever oh, there's musical I am, news... Like I we, represent the readers. Readers, I am your representation. I, there was a, there I'm was, here there for was you. A new, they're, they're adapting Prince of Egypt for the stage... For, for a stage performance. Yeah. yeah. And they posted news about that and they, they laughed it up. No, oh, it was, it was, it. he was a huge I, deal. I, I have a problem with the transition from talking to singing. You know, yeah. like we're just sitting here in a heated thing and then I start to do a melodic delivery. Yeah. And then the music comes on. And it's just like, wait a second, what? Like you were just talking. Stop it. I, I will that say That is this. literally how I live my life in my head. 
<laughs> it is like the transition is so natural to me. Like, and sometimes I imagine like my husband and I got a really big fight the other night and we were like in the car and I was mad. I was really mad and I have some anger problems and I like, <laughs> I like banged my hand on the dashboard. He was driving and like, there is a small, but very real part of me that the moment that this happens, it's like boom, my deepest desire is to go like dead. And then like our marriage, our life, the world would be better if instead of it just being a normal talking fight, we went in to a musical number in that moment. And I and just I if you disagree with me, I just don't know if we're on the same wavelength in life. If you don't think that that would make life better. It's, It's funny. I'm not a big fan of musicals for the same reason. But in the third act of Cruise Control, it does break down into a musical showdown. <laughs> what will people say when they hear, when they hear? And it, it's, it's, it's quite spectacular. It's, it is it's unbelievable. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty straightforward since I'm, I, I would be willing to venture a bet that Carmen lived most of his life in a musical. Like yeah. he starts singing. Yeah. His, he's a life coach now. He sings his advice to people. It There's no, to it, that, no doubt in my mind. So it would not be true to your source material if you yeah. didn't have them break into song now and then. They're musicians. Well, what's the one with Russell yeah, Crowe and, and, and Hugh Les Jackman? Miz. Les Mis. Les Mis. Les Mis. Yeah. Yeah. I, That's French. I, yeah, I, I was talking to someone who French. went to go see Les Mis and like five minutes in is like looking around like, oh no. No, no, no. This this is a musical. Like he didn't realize it. Would, he thought it was just like a historical, you know, kind so of like good. Count of Monte Cristo the movie type was of situation. So, so. The play in real life is so good. That happened mm-hmm. to me with Dreamgirls. I didn't realize that it was a musical until no, I was no, stuck no, in the no, theater. No, 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 like, no. Oh man, yeah. I will tell you. I will tell you this though. One of my favorite movies of all time is La La Land, and <gasps> yes. I feel like that's that, musical. I know that's what I'm saying. It's a musical, but I feel like it's different enough. You know, like the opening scene of traffic in L.A. starting as this over the top crazy. It's, I felt like it was so self-aware, good. you know, I fe- and then it like devolves into a scene. I, I just feel like it was self-aware enough and it played with the structure. OK, l- last couple ones. Uh, let's see. Uh, Perry asks, I'm doing a sugar fast and, and I'm used to eating a box of hot tamales every night. What should be my new healthy sugar free indulgence? What? <laughs> Perry, you're let me just say this. You're lucky to be alive, friend. (laughs) (laughs) A box. That's every night. Yeah, every night. I would say I'm down with some hot tamales, but I mean, I think the only option you have is an insulin shot because (laughs) you've wrecked wrecked your body, friend. It's too late. Yeah, a friend a friend of mine had to uh, get off coffee this week. Like the doctor's like, got to get off coffee. And they're like, okay, it is imperative that you come up with a new routine where you used to fill the void with coffee or whatever. You have to change your life. So then it's just a different thing. You don't miss it as much. So Perry, you got to change your evening routine, buddy. Yeah. All right. Um, People, people freak out about this a little bit, but I, you know what? A a snack that I can do is I don't think pickles are too bad. Oh. I love pickles. I'll, I'll go, Tyler. I'll go I'm down. I'm down with pickles. Sugar free. Yeah. Not, there's a lot of them here. People they love them over here in Fred. They really, them, I was gonna say those little, little pickles, those tiny pickles, those little gherkins. Also, they're, they're all those over the like place. sweet pickles, the like buttery pickles. Do those actually have sugar in them, or is somehow the like cucumber sweet? Yeah, because that could question. be a good there, alternative. I'm sure sugar free options. Yeah. Perry, this yeah. may not be helpful. I'm using this trick about myself. You know, they're, I'm actually nice crunch to them. Complex flavor profile. Mm. Yeah, carrots, yeah. carrots, eat carrots. They're actually quite sweet. 
And they kind they of are, look like sweet. big hot tamales. <laughs> <laughs> they, Those are big carrots. orange hot tamales that taste gross. So good luck, Perry. Yeah. <laughs> I love carrots. All right, Braxton asks this last question. Um, uh, if, if the Huckabeast is spending time away in France, what other parts of the world would the cast like to spend time away in, but still do the pot? So like mm. remote for a few months. Berlin. Mm. Berlin. Oh, yeah. Why Berlin? Why, why Berlin? There's a lot of tattooers I want to get tattooed by there. Uh, wow. Yeah. Tattoo, a tattoo cruise. Yep. It's on <laughs> just, my list of things to do. Just throwing back to Like schnitzel. to go live there or no, visit? just go for a couple weeks. Yeah. Liz, Mine's what? India right now. We have some new partners. Amazing, amazing fair trade partners that are doing incredible work over there. And new product lines that are coming out of there. But I haven't actually been yet. Um, and I'm very anxious to get over to India. Interesting. Mm, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I, I would want to say, like, I always watch, I've said this before, when I watch cooking shows, I'm like, man, Italy seems cool. But I, I would probably do better in like a Tokyo or something where there's, you know, I, it'd be cool just to be like in a, you know, a, a different culture that that's radically different. You know, I think I would get tired of Italy all the time because it seems like their meals take forever. And that's just not my thing. Like I don't got time for two hour lunch again today, guys. I know you got the big picnic table set up and I'm looking over the countryside and that they, they they've literally been preparing this meal for three days. I don't have time again. Okay. I was just planning on grabbing a mozzarella stick and finishing that hot pocket. All right. Uh, many thanks to everybody who's uh, sent us a question. There's there's a ton more that we couldn't get to. Um, go check them out at Relevant Podcast. Many thanks to Mark Batterson's new book, Double Blessing, for making the episode possible. Go check it out. It is out now. Well, many thanks to David Platt for joining us. Make sure to check out his new book, Something Needs to Change. It's out now. Also, make sure to check out the debut episode of Called. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Go check it out and subscribe today. Help us spread the word. Also, thank you, Liz, for sitting in. This was a lot of fun. So fun. Good to be back, guys. Uh, Make sure to check out uh, her new book, Beginner's Pluck. You can find out more at beginnerspluck.com. For the next 10 days, you can pre-order it and get the audio book for free. And uh, after October 1st, you can just get it. I think everybody should. And if you go on the website, beginnerspluck.com, you might find out about an upcoming podcast from our friend Mm, Liz. Something I like to call Pluckology. I, I don't believe it. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be riddled with 1990s pop culture references. 100%. Riddled. Riddle. All right. Uh, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron String. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. Liz Fork and Bohannon. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe Relevant people podcast say Network. when they hear, when they hear.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.